we start today's episode, just to let you know, you can now nominate for the 2025 Northern Power Women Awards. To be in with a chance of celebrating with changemakers, trailblazers and advocates on the 6th of March 2025. Nominate now at wearepower.net. Northern Power Women podcast for your career and your life, no matter what business you're in. Well, hello. Here we are together again, and it's definitely lucky for us because we've made it to episode 13 of the Northern Power Women podcast. Let's all be more like Swedish men. I'm Sam Walker. Come on, come with me as we head to Liverpool for the recording of our panel at the International Business Festival where we talk skills, cash and losing your job just because you've started a family. At three o'clock, four of the men got up and left and I watched past the window as they all walked past with their kids and then they didn't come back. There's a really inspirational interview for you to enjoy as well. From one of the country's leading CEOs, she is the inimitable Marnie Millard OBE who runs soft drinks company Nichols, also known as Madame Vimto. I said to him, why won't you give me a crack at this job? And this is absolutely genuine. He looked at me and he said, well, I hadn't considered it because I thought with the children, you wouldn't want to do all that it entails. Well, I was doing it anyway. And in Ask the Hive, imposter syndrome raises its very unwelcome head. Despite passing the tests, getting the job, our intrepid listener just can't help feeling like she's not worthy but you give some brilliant advice stop right now you've been offered that job because you have been amazing at some point during this recruitment process you've been offered this job over other people so you've already shown them that you've got something amazing to offer the organization whilst you've been hopefully enjoying the gorgeous sunshine of the last few weeks one woman has not had the time to stop and slap on the fact of 30 I'm talking, of course, of the one and only founder of Northern Power Women, Simone Roche, MBE. Let's catch up with her for some news from HQ. We are back again for episode 13. I hope you also liked our bonus podcast recorded at the celebration event in June too. Um, we are thrilled to bits to be shortlisted in the Northern Blog Awards. If you can, just take a second. 20 seconds just to share and vote for us we would be thrilled to bits um this month we're back to where northern power women was was born we're at the festival for business in liverpool and we've got an amazing panel uh which we know you'll enjoy listening to later we've got paul grover from arab kirsty styles from the reader and lizzie doyle award-winning lizzie doyle um from radio city talk Lizzie, along with Stacey Copeland, Miss Buchan and Maya Dibley have all made the We Are The City Rising Stars for 2018. Congratulations. Another reason to celebrate on the podcast, our person with purpose um, this month is Marnie Millard OBE. Congratulations on being recognised in the Queen's Birthday Honours. And not only Marnie, but Kate Hardcastle, Emily Cox and, well, myself. We've all been awarded MBEs and I just want to take this opportunity to thank every single one of you for all of the messages, emails, tweets, WhatsApp, cards, champagne, flowers and just really great support. Um, really do believe this is for everyone across Northern Power Women so thank you so much. And even more congratulations, Brother UK and Inform Solutions have been recognised and recently attended a celebration at Buckingham Palace and are now Queen's Awards for Excellence winners so it is a proper winning one this month so um, and please watch out shortly we're going to have our new series of podcasts and these are for our Northern Power Women Live MPW Live a series of short 10 minute talks which you're going to be able to listen to as on this very podcast channel. 
as we promised you, November this year is going to be the start of our very first Northern Power Futures Festival. Um, and we're delighted that EY are going to be our headline sponsor and Vodafone our innovation sponsors. We're very, very close to announcing the date in Manchester and we'll have a date in the new year in Newcastle. Thanks ever so much. It has been quite an overwhelmingly celebratory month. And don't forget, if you get a sec, please, please, please do vote for us in the Northern Blog Awards. Only take a second, I promise. Thanks so much and we'll see you next month. Enjoy the weather. Oh, if only Simone had mentioned our nomination for Best Podcast in the Northern Blog Awards. <clears throat> uh, please do go and vote. I know we've banged on about it, but we would just love you, please, to vote for us. You can find all the details of how to get involved on their Twitter page at North Blog Awards. Ta. Right, time to hear some really juicy conversation now, courtesy of our brilliant panel, held this month in Liverpool at the International Business Festival. Well, hello, good afternoon, and welcome to episode 13 of the Northern Power Women podcast. We are very, very excited to be recording live here this afternoon at the International Business Festival in Liverpool. Um, it's been great. I look around at stands around me, amazing Shanghai, uh, your gateway to Africa, Merrill 100 Club. I'm going to have a good old schmooze round later on. But for now, let's get down to business and welcome our esteemed panel for this recording of episode 13. A big hello to Paul Grover. He is the Associate Director of Arup. Paul uh, is uh, an Associate Director with International Design Consultancy Arup. He has led client negotiations across a number of, ho I love reading these out, a number of high profile planning, master planning, you can tell me the difference between those later. Uh, transport, environmental and economic focus projects. Paul has recently been recognised by the Board of Trade for his role in supporting British exporting. And he is a Department for International Trade appointed export champion. He's nodding for the Northern Powerhouse and represents Arup in the government's Northern Powerhouse programme. Paul, you're very welcome. Thank you very much indeed for being here. Also welcome to Kirsty Styles, National Membership Development Manager for The Reader. Kirsty's career has spanned technology journalism, digital skills and diversity and is now focused on helping The Reader promote the growth of shared reading, research-backed activity that can help anyone lose themselves in a book and find themselves in a story. Fabulous stuff. And last but not least, Lizzie Dorr, welcome to you as well. A producer at Radio City Talk, one of the most exciting prospects it says here lizzie in uk radio did i hear a little whoop then <laughs> too right uh, in short but successful career to date she has achieved wide recognition for her groundbreaking ideas and delivery of award-winning programming at radio city talk in liverpool what's it like being up that big tower is it does it get windy does it sway today was extremely windy i had to take seasick tablets <laughs> And that is the glamour of the media industry. Welcome to all our panellists. Thank you. So as ever, what we do on the podcast, of course, in this live recording of our panel, is we start conversations because we love to hear from you and to hear what you're interested in and you're interested in discussing. So thanks for any uh, questions, suggestions you've sent in. And uh, we talk about things with our panel today and we'd love you to continue the conversation. So first up, uh, and this is reflected, I think, in a few of the Ask the Hive questions we've had recently on the Northern Power Women podcast. Graduates tell us they're finding it very hard to find roles that reflect their skill set that don't demand some level of working experience. How can we best prepare grads for a transition from education to industry? Kirsty. There's a lot in there. Thanks, Sam. Uh, always like a challenge. Um, I mean, it's it's a funny question because I guess um, if you're you can't find roles that reflect your skill set, but you don't have work experience in that job, I'm surprised that you'd consider that you have that skill set. Um, for me, um, uh, I um, I've had seven jobs in seven years. Uh, I've been down to London and back. I've worked, uh, you know, for big organisations, small organisations, um, and my dream job seven years ago was to be a journalist, and I'm not a journalist anymore. Um, when I entered the industry, I actually didn't have that many skills, and um, you know, I took kind of whatever job that I could get eventually. And um, so I I don't know whether you know what job you want when you get um, get to be a graduate um, coming out of university. And so my answer really is 
to get stuck in. Um, it might sound kind of kind of uh, you know simplistic, but um, seriously, um, there are so many opportunities out there for volunteering, um, for placements. Um, we used to have um, uh, journalists, successful journalists, come and speak to us at university, and they would say, "All you need is that bit of luck." And I was like, "Good gracious, I can't." study for luck I can't um, you know uh, I can't find luck in a book type thing um, but actually what they meant was just start asking people start getting your face out there and that's exactly what I did uh, when I wanted to be a journalist and I ended up in tech purely because people started going who's that gobby girl from Warrington maybe she could uh, maybe she could get in and start writing for us um, uh, so that, that was uh, I guess a, a range of different uh, answers that I hope might be helpful. Thank you so much, Kirsty. Um, Lizzie, you work in an industry again, which is notoriously hard to get into in the media, especially in radio. I mean, radio is something I've worked in for a long time. And, you know, as a producer, you can quite often go and learn skills and be that graduate and, and have, have passed all the exams in pushing the right buttons. But it's quite hard, isn't it, to get that hands-on experience in a job to be able to put your hand up and go, I know I can do that, and, unless you're actually in the working world. Yeah, this is something I think that's really a, a big problem facing young people and graduates because I technically am not long uh, a graduate. Two years ago I graduated and I was, you use the word luck, you could say I was quite lucky to get the job that I did so quick, but I, I absolutely worked so hard to get it. But I started my work experience in media when I was 16 and I just I just done anything and everything that would that I could get into. And what I find, and this is not a personal site to the university that I went to, but the the universities don't push the idea of work experience enough. I felt like until it got to final year, there was a really big emphasis on it. And by that point, I was already two years ahead of other people. Mm. And there's, there's modules that they say you need to do work experience, you need to do this, you need to do that. But I feel like the universities don't actually like facilitate much and give the opportunity. I, I understand you've got to do stuff off, off your own back like I did, but not... Not everyone is the same and some people do need a helping hand and in my job there's absolutely no way that you could go into my job without having work experience as, as you as you well know and I, I worked everywhere and I worked for seven days a week since I was 17 and I tried my hardest and the thing is I just honestly think that if Edu ed education wise it's it's not enough well especially not in media and people can tell you until the blue in the face that you need to do work experience but if the opportunities for young people aren't there how are they how are they meant to to get into it to get into a job in the first place do you think the employers have got some sort of responsibility here as well do you think stations like radio city talk or or capital radio or any of the other radio stations that are around here in the north have got a responsibility to say wait a minute where are we going to get our our next generation of great producers from we need to reach out as opposed to just waiting for people to come to us i think 100 percent. it's a two-way street and you know it, it's so strange being on the other side now as a producer having people email me asking for work experience and i and, and i actually have a work experience and i still feel strange to like having one and i'll still go and make the cup of tea i'll still go and make the drinks because it's such a strange thing but i i think so i mean like I, I was in Media City for university and I would have very much liked some of the companies and, and the big industries that were in Media City to have properly teamed up with my university and said, well, you know, go, go to the university and say, well, here's some opportunities. We'd like to, you know, we'd, we'd like to fill these roles. We'd like to help you. And then, like I say, it is a two-way street. It does need effort off your own back, personally. You, you can't do... You, you have to go and do it yourself, but there also needs to be help from the big industries and from universities too. Okay, thank you very much indeed. So, so Paul, how do we prepare graduates for that reality that they need to get out there? And as Lizzie just told us, they need to get out there from, from much younger in their lives than, oh, I finished uni, now I need to get out there. Because as Lizzie just pointed out, she was a couple of years ahead of other people because she'd started getting out there even before she went to uni. Yeah, I think one of the key things to do is actually look at all the work you do. Most graduates who get to the end of their courses have worked somewhere and have done something, whether it's to fund their education or things they were doing when they were 15 or 16, and, and not to write off the fact that you worked in a shop or you worked in a bar or you did something. They're all really important skills, and we get a lot of CVs that come in and, and, and people have had no skill, no working experience and then someone will have, have worked in a bar or a restaurant or they'll have worked in a shoe shop and, and they're able to say well no, I've dealt with the public, I've dealt with people I know how to manage things, I know how to deal with things, I know with stressful um, 
um, timelines, all these sorts of things. So they're all actually really relevant. So sometimes, and, and sort of advice back, if, if you've got that sort of experience, you might not have the exact technical skills somebody's looking for, but you've got to take the experience you have got and present it in a way which shows the skills you've mm-hmm. got. So not just saying, I worked in a restaurant, but it's, I worked in a really busy restaurant, working under pressure. I had to deal with shift changes. I had to deal with um, dealing with money. I had to deal with awkward customers. I had to deal with a client. You know, just really using what skill you have got and that could be the differential then when you go into an interview you've got something that's a bit more interesting and if you haven't actually got any real work experience at universities you may have been involved in debating chambers or other things and actually just using that as well so that you stand out so if you can get through that first cv process which we've been talking about or if you can get an actual interview you've got life experience something a bit more interesting and yeah i'd say that's the that's the key use the experience you have got and project it great stuff if you're listening and you're thinking I've got some tips I could help out somebody who's in that situation do get in touch we would love to hear from you you can email podcast at northernpowerwomen.com or of course we're always on Twitter at North Power Women okay let's go for question number two now and this is to do with money 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 now um, news this month emerges the pay gap between young and older workers more than doubled in the last 20 years. Now, we know that one in five young workers are struggling to pay basic living costs. How can we best prepare the next generation of workers for financial challenges? I think we think when we're students, aren't we? We're living off tins of beans. Once I get a job, everything will be rosy. And then the reality hits. Um, Lizzie, what advice can you offer? Well, and for a start, I think this should be taught at schools, colleges, even at university. I mean, I had no idea what I was getting myself into when I went to university. And to be honest, it, I had to make a conscious decision based on finance when I went to university, which was um, which isn't ideal because, you know, I, I didn't have a lot of money to myself and um, the student loan would only cover rent. So I had to consciously think, well, I have to be close to home so I can keep up a job and... The, the student loan thing in terms of stu- student finance, I think people get given this money and it's it's done in terms and they, they've got to learn to manage this this three-month payment. Uh, and I've seen so many, uh, you know, of my friends at university just blow it within a week. And also stuff to do with, like, um, so when I finished uni, I got my first credit card and I had no idea what to do with it I've still got it now and I think I've used it two or three times because I'm too scared to use it because I've never actually had someone sit me down and really explain to me the benefits and I think sometimes we're just thrown a little bit in the deep end as young people and expected to know what we're doing you know a lot of young people come out of university still with student overdrafts where obviously you can go into an overdraft and it doesn't charge you any money so Money management is a huge thing. And in, in terms of the pay gap as well, I, f- I find it quite unfair because I've I've worked in jobs um, when I was younger where it was a national minimum wage. And I'd look at someone who was a year older than me who might work not as hard as I am, but they're, they're getting paid more money. And I understand that there's probably, you know, higher living costs for older people and there should be some sort of gap, but it, it shouldn't be doubled because... Mm. How, how are young people meant to get the get up and go and the encouragement to get into work that the government and, you know, that the society puts pressure on young people to do if they're not willing to value them with the same pay as other people? But, of course, housing's much cheaper now than it was a generation ago. <gasps> oh, no, it's not. Oh, no, it's a lot worse. Um, Paul, advice, really. And, and, and do you agree with Lizzie, first of all, that how, how do we get through school and uni without being told how to manage a credit card or even what APR means or what what a mortgage payment might mean. Yeah, I think you know that that is important starting at school understanding um what it means what interest rates are you know even before you get to that point what a credit card is as you were saying but it comes back to that question about before you go to uni so having a discussion and a think and saying actually there are opportunities that you could try things because it's easier to fail when you've got less to lose so when you get further into the career and mortgages and families and all those things start coming in you don't want to start up a business you know doing chicken and ting and something and all that sort of stuff that that is your whole life on the line whereas 
at the age of 16 up, there are smaller loans available, £1,000, etc. And you speak to entrepreneurs all the time, businesses, the first few businesses fail. They fail, 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 and then you succeed. And to do that at the start, if it doesn't work out at the age of 17 or 18, you can then apply and go to university, having got some life skill behind you and hopefully not racking up huge amounts of debt. But you can, you can get that opportunity. So I'd say uh, take the advantage if you can, try and avoid getting into that. I work full-time all the way through uni. Um, I know there are other people who've actually looked at overseas courses because you can get a different life experience whilst you're doing it. Um, and actually trying to find, is, is there a way where I can finance both an education and a life rather than a life or an education? Um, because, yeah, that's important. You've got to enjoy those three or five years you're doing it. You don't want to come out the other end and find you've got 10, 15, 20 years to pay off what, what was meant to be three years to get you ahead. Um, and especially if you then get into a situation, you're starting a job as a graduate and you've just seen everyone publish their, their uh, figures for the difference between higher staff and lower staff. You know, I've just put all my debt into this yeah. and I'm starting as a graduate and I'm looking at people who didn't have to pay anything for their education or their housing or anything so much more elevated uh, and that that's an ongoing challenge so it's you know create the opportunity create work and employ some older people mm. it's interesting what you're saying i've just kicked your water over i'm oh, so sorry. sorry i'm so sorry um it, interesting there what paul was saying about valuing young people and that was something echoed in lizzie's answer as well do you think because younger people feel undervalued because wages haven't kept pace in the same way. I don't know whether I can speak on behalf of young people. Oh, <laughs> you can. Look at you. Not a wrinkle in sight. <laughs> um, I mean, I um, I would, you know, echo absolutely all of the kind of practical things that people have um, have mentioned. Um, what I guess I'd like to say is I used to, I'll let you in a little secret, I used to run my own podcast, Sam, the Weekly Economics Podcast. Um, I'm aware of your work. <laughs> uh, but, you know, based in London, hundreds of thousands of, of listens. And um, the whole point of doing that podcast with, with a think tank called the New Economics Foundation was to make economics accessible to make it funny we hoped econolols um and you know to discuss <laughs> uh, discuss um issues that matter and um you know for me this is this is um you know this is big stuff um you know there are all the practical things that we can do but actually if you don't understand how the economy works um and um uh, and you know things like intergenerational justice um really big uh, ideas um then you kind of can't meet people you know the older people um in a place where uh, you know a place where you can start to actually ask how things should be done differently in work poverty um is exceeds uh, has been exceeding for the first time uh, for a number of years uh, people who are out of work and um, you know that's a big problem um it's a problem for the the economy because if we people don't have money to spend then then we're not buying stuff and so the economy doesn't work so there are actually really big problems for the government in all of these things so um as uh, you know day to day obviously it feels like it can feel very much like it's a struggle but actually on a really big level um it, it really matters and it's a big problem um i can recommend um a book by um yanis uh, varoufakis who was the Greek uh, finance minister with the um, leather jacket um, who uh, has written a book called um, Talking to My Daughter About the Economy and he goes really, really far, just, just to the basics, um, speaking uh, as though he's speaking to his daughter who lives on the other side of the world um, about where the words economy come from, where the word debt comes from uh, because he says, you know, if you can't, uh, you know, appreciate, understand these issues and start to have these kinds of conversations, then how are we going to start to uh, you know, own the future uh, and everything like that? Um, Malcolm X said... Education is passport to the future, uh, and it is. You know, we, uh, uh, so educating yourself on on the, on the practicalities are very much so. But actually, uh, starting to say to people, you know, the economy doesn't work. This isn't fair. What are we going to do about it? Yanis and Malcolm in one answer. I'm loving your work, Kirsty. <laughs> Fantastic stuff. Right, look, time is ticking against us. We are on to question number three. And this is a question we return to and, and an issue we return to so many times in the Northern Power Women podcast. But I'm guessing it's because an issue that isn't going away. Uh, this month, large companies have been urged to publish their policies on parental leave. Now, each year, 54,000 women lose their jobs because of pregnancy and maternity discrimination. Unsurprisingly, we learn fathers are worried about taking their fair share of paternal or parental leave, in fact, because they fear it will have a negative effect on their careers. Obviously, having seen how it has a negative effect on women's careers. How can we make this better for the not just the present, but the future generation of working parents as well? Should we be empowering men to take more time off? What can we do? 
if you can just give us all the answers. Paul, that'd be very helpful. Thank you. Yes, I'll give you all the answers. So um, I think, it, it, again, it's about empowering and leading by example. So you get you get the opportunity to take this time and people need to seriously focus and, and, and see how they can actually implement it. I'm lucky. I get to travel. I go over, overseas and I get to see things. I had a great example. I was at a meeting in Sweden with with senior um, uh, members from from the UK government and and Swedish government. And at three o'clock, four of the men got up and left. And I watched past the window as they all walked past with their kids. And then they didn't come back because that's what they do. And that was completely acceptable. And everyone just carried on. And it's about making things normal. If If you make things unnormal or, or it, it has to become expected if you expect that people there's a baby great someone's going to have some time off they're going to share the leave it's going to work for everybody be more flexible as soon as it becomes normal or you normalize it in your workplace um, then people are going to be more accepting of it so it, it's just a, a sort of it, it, it seems alien to a, to a lot of people mm. to to actually look at a look at how we can embrace it in the workplace and you know, it, it's it's just how about you adapt and look at what others are doing, and and I, I'd like to think that was starting to come through a bit more now. And and the publishing, you know, often it's it's getting effectively it out in public yeah. so people can see, and then they can choose which companies they want to go and work for. The ones that support that, and the ones that don't support it, they'll start losing the best and the brightest hopefully, um, because that will mean that uh, actually they'll have to change their policies if they want to keep in touch with everybody else. And then externally, if we're looking to win work or appoint teams, we'll go, okay, what's your view on parental leave? That'll be one of the aspects we'll take on board when we're reviewing whether or not we're going to work with you or work for you. Um, Kirsty, just just this month, of course, Kelly Brook spoke on, I think it was on Good Morning Britain, saying that mothers who want to go and pick their children up from school aren't taken seriously in the world of work. When's that conversation going to change, do you think? It'd probably be more embarrassing if if they left them on the side of the road. Um, um, So at The Reader, we are um, about 90% women. Um, and uh, it's more women than I've ever worked with. The tech industry is only about uh, you know, 10, 20% women, depending on where you look. Um, and um, many of uh, the women in senior positions have, um, have kids to go and pick up um, and um, work different time patterns. Uh, I'm actually working a different time pattern because I'm going to be going back to my old university and doing a master's starting in September. And um, you know, I went to HR, said this is what was happening. They said fab, uh, and they worked out what my salary was going to be based on that information. Um, so me doing that, taking time out for something is as um is comparable to 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 parents going off and doing what they need to do and and that's just normal and it it wasn't like they um batted an eyelid it's just that they are able to do that because they just punch it into the computer i don't see the um the 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 real challenge that that businesses should really have with that and for me you know having um i love that you call it parental leave because that is what it should be called um, but you know have having parents in in the workplace who have other things to do for me means that they're getting it done in in a couple of hours rather than in eight hours because they've uh, they've got somewhere else to be uh, i'm not a parent myself but i uh, absolutely believe that that, that that parents bring something to the workplace that other people don't i think this is a rub against this kind of um, we can all work 24 hours because we're always on um, and and i think that's actually been really detrimental to um, people's well-being um, over the last kind of five to ten years and we all need to to just basically say look we're not here to work all the time um and um so we don't we just don't have to i think that's a really really interesting point and i kind of have hope i mean i've got two daughters my eldest is nearly 11 and i have hope with the generation that are entering work at the moment having that attitude of wait a minute our working life our work's got to work for for us we don't necessarily need to spend our whole time working for work lizzie radio isn't the most friendly place when you're a parent i know that when i first fell pregnant with my, my eldest daughter i thought that's it i'll never i'll never work again and it's quite hard when you do a breakfast show to get babysitters at 4am <laughs> when you need to leave for work and i don't know if that will ever change so i think anyone who works in radio has to have an incredibly supportive partner who who doesn't have a, a similarly demanding job actually but how, how do you see things perhaps shifting on that landscape I think there's two stigmas at the moment. I think um, you use the word 
stigma quite a lot, but there's two. And I think one is a man wanting to take time to spend with his child. That is allowed and that is normal. And also a woman who wants to come back to work. Um, and I think there's there's always this pressure on on women. Also, when it comes to the, the conversation with, with young women or, or, you know, have you got children? If not, why not? Um, which I don't think is fair, but it shouldn't be down to the man to basically he has to be the one that comes back to work and it shouldn't also be that you feel obliged to maybe take paid holidays for for parental leave because you're not entitled to say paternity leave it's it's more so men who who aren't entitled to the paternity um the only way i can see it's changing i think it's exactly what paul said it needs to be normalized it's it's a normal thing to be a parent it's a natural thing and why shouldn't you want to spend time uh, with your children and I've seen it with people in the radio industry, not necessarily in in the company that I work for, but I've seen people lose their jobs because they've had a child and how is that fair? I mean, I'm only a a young girl and I'm I'm still starting off in this industry and I don't want to think 10 years down the line uh, if I start to have those thoughts in my head that maybe that I will want children at some point that, oh, no, I can't because I want my career to progress because I'm an ambitious girl as well and I think you should be able to be a mum or a dad and be ambitious at the same time without having to worry about what your employers think of you and the pressures on you to 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 basically maintain that level of constantly always being switched on to work you know you go home you want to spend time with your children um you don't want to be answering emails 24 7 and when you clock off at three o'clock to go and pick your, your kids up at half three, you shouldn't be expected to answer emails till five o'clock. It it, it just needs to be normalised. And I think that has to come from employers. I think employees, we can shout about it as much as we want, but until policies have changed and people's attitudes and companies' attitudes have changed, there's there's not much people can do because people who, like I say, people who want to progress, you know, they're, they're stuck between a rock and a hard place. I could tell you a thousand and one horror stories of things that have been said to me as a female radio presenter. We'll have a drink afterwards. I'll let you all in on it. Or email podcast at northernpowerwomen.com and I shall tell you then. Uh, Thank you so much. Thank you very, very much indeed for being part of the uh, podcast live panel for episode 13 this afternoon. It has been a joy and a privilege as ever to see you all. Thank you very much indeed. Can we have a round of applause for our wonderful panellists? Thank you to Kirsty Stiles, to Lizzie Doyle and to Paul Grover as well. Thank you so much. Thanks again to our panel and our audience in Liverpool. We're recording in Manchester next and then heading further north. So watch this space. Do you know, I always really enjoy talking to people who've been really successful in what they've chosen to do and hearing about their dedication and their focus and also the times that things kind of didn't go their way and how they overcame that. Because I suppose it just happens to all of us. Well, this month I caught up with the CEO of Nichols, Marnie Millard OBE, about her incredible career and her great attitude to business and to life. I asked Marnie what it was about her job that she really loves. What I love most about what I do is I don't have any day that is the same. So our business at Nichols is divided into three divisions effectively. So we have our UK business, which is supplying Vimto to the retailers that we know and love, Tesco, Asda, Sainsbury's. Uh, We then have an out-of-home business uh, where we are providing soft drinks to the on-trade. We're installing equipment. And there we represent uh, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, Iron Brew, which was always really interesting that we're representing competitors particularly Iron Brew in in Scotland. Uh, And then we have our international business and our two biggest markets are the Middle East and Africa. So, you know, I could take a typical week. I could be, uh, or let's take a typical month because that's probably a little bit more realistic. So in May, I had a week in Saudi Arabia um, because we sell 35 million bottles of Bimto during the Ramadan period. So I was out there for a week uh, with our partners going to the factory 
Um, and I'm absolutely delighted because we've got 60 women working in our wow. factory in Deman in Saudi. I mean, this is groundbreaking stuff. And it's such a privilege to be part of such a big piece of change in a geographical region. Um, so going to all the stores, seeing all the big displays for Ramadan, meeting our partners and uh, so on and so forth. So that's one week. Um, I could then have another week where I'm attending um, an IGD seminar with Tesco and I end up having a chat with Jason Tarry, who's the COO at Tesco. Um, and then in our out of home business, I spent uh, a few days out on the road down in the south uh, west, getting in and out of a white van, uh, helping Matt, who's one of our technicians, washing um, uh, slush machines uh, in Haven holidays and, and just spending time with the guys out on the on, mm. on the ground. So I, I a bit like we were sharing a little bit earlier for me personally to go and sit behind a desk and do the same thing day in and day out would really really just be my worst nightmare I was going to ask you what a typical day was like you've already answered that question there isn't one but with someone who is as busy as you are and covers so many different areas how important is it to have a structure to your day? I mean, you might be in Saudi one day or in Luton the next day, but do you have a structure to your day that works for you? Yes, I am quite uh, anal about dotting the I's and crossing the T's. <laughs> I, I, I have spoken about this on, on numerous occasions and it's been reported about me. Um, one, I, I'm, I'm pretty... Um, I suppose When I say easygoing for a CEO, in, in, in some ways you're setting out expectations to all your audience all the time so um, but I hate people being late um, and I remember I was uh, running a factory uh, up in the northeast, and we had uh, weekly management meetings on a Monday let's say this meeting it was two o'clock by 2.05 I'm the one sitting in the room and, and the previous general manager that's how he operated he rocked up 10 minutes after the start mm. date um, for me that's really disrespectful of everybody's time so everywhere I've gone ever since one of the things I do in terms of ground rules and things that really just uh, get my goat is is lateness and as a result of that through my day therefore I'm really structured so it's interesting on the international track because um, you you have a clear itinerary. Um, Clearly, you're on and off planes, you're in and out of hotels, and broadly, you know where you're going to go and who you're going to meet. Equally, some of the best trips I've had is where there's more spontaneity in it. Um, But equally, if you've got meetings with customers or suppliers, then actually my day is really quite regimented and structured. What about you, Asmani, the woman in your day? I mean, your business world and and role is one thing, but what about you? Do you always have to have breakfast? Do you always have to, say, go for a run? What do you structure into your day that makes sure the rest of your day works? Yeah, I mean, I uh, in my in my day because I have such a long commute from Saddleworth into uh, uh, well, Warrington is probably the best general description of the office. The traffic and the commute can be quite horrific for me. I am hoping the new smart motorway, Mr. Burnham, will actually make my life <laughs> yes. much much more when it enjoyable. Smart, when, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so in order to miss that, I always go when I'm in the office. I always go to the gym. Um, I am really quite a naughty person in terms of looking after myself from a food point of view but I have a very foody husband who loves cooking and does all the cooking and he actually gets on my case if I don't eat so I am like a school kid when I leave home (laughs) in the morning because I do have my little pack up for breakfast and for lunch Um, and he mixes it up and therefore I don't have the same thing every day so if I've had it and he said oh did you enjoy your lunch and I think he's given me the same as the day before and I haven't really eaten it and I say the wrong thing so joking apart so yeah I mean I I, I am you, you have to learn to look after yourself I'm really I mean I am busy at the moment in terms of doing quite a lot of things uh 
after dinner, you know, an after work basis. But normally um, I'm home and you'll find me in bed for 9.30 because I just get up so early mm. and my day's jam-packed. So I do find myself these days perhaps feeling more tired than I used to be in my younger days. But I do have rigour. At the weekend, and this is even when the children were little, uh, once I finish on Friday, then I try and stop Friday night and then pick everything up Sunday night ready for Monday and we're quite an ordinary family we like walking my husband loves music so we're big into attending all sorts of different concerts visiting the kids so we do really try and keep some downtime for the weekend because I think you've really got to try and keep Mm. a balance and I'm not very structured then I like to leave it up to Dan or somebody else to think about what we're going to do at the weekend because I have to think about everything in the week (laughs) so it's nice to give over the reins to somebody else uh, at the weekend. You talked about your younger days. Going back to the very beginning of your career, did you have a kind of career path set out? Did you have that long-term goal from early on? Not at all. Um, And it's really quite interesting when I reflect now because actually being a female leader... um, I take that responsibility really quite seriously because we need to have women on show as successful leaders to encourage and inspire all the ladies and girls that we're working with and our leaders of the future. Was there someone who did that for you? No, no, no. And there's somebody who was really quite important to me that that I'll come back to. But um, my, my career really up until having the children was just ordinary um, customer services telesales um, being an account manager and before I had Alex um, I was a brand manager uh, for Haywood's Pickles been really lucky everything I've worked in and I love pickles I, products <laughs> I really like and um, I had a three and a half year career break off to have Alex and then, then Katie my daughter and I really really loved that time But it's sort of like my brain grew up a bit during that period in terms of I had quite a lot of time for reflection. And I know that sounds mad because you've got two little ones, but equally... It's different pressure. It is. You're walking out with them. You're in the park and they're swinging and you're pushing them or you're swimming. I was always really busy, but it started to make me think about what what I wanted to do. Um, And I think pre-having the children, I got married quite young. You've then got a mortgage. Uh, You then sort of, if you get a car every couple of years, that's success. The measures of success... For my generation in that sort of area that I was, um, was those kinds yeah. of criteria. And then once I'd had the children and I started to think about what I wanted to do and technology was just going bonkers. I mean, when I was a sales rep for Bristol Myers, um, you used, I used to have to save my 10 and 50 P's to ring my orders through from a red telephone. I mean, I'm not that old, but I think that you, no yeah. mobile phones or you transfer orders were written in and during that time between me leaving Premier to thinking about going back to work, email mobile phones, I mean that is just three Mm. and a half years, it was just exploding and I said to myself if I don't get back to work now I I just don't know that I will do. So um, I set about uh, looking what was available. We were living in Selby uh, at that point and I had a few interviews and I was really lucky. I was offered a job at uh, Morrison Supermarkets as a brand manager in Bradford, which would be commutable from where I was living, and a brand manager at Grattan's, uh, the catalogue people that they were then. And I was sort of um in an hour-in because I was in a very wonderful place because I wanted a job, but for once I could choose exactly what I wanted to do. And a friend of mine rang and said, oh, there's this advert in the Yorkshire Post, sounds just you. And I went for an interview uh, with the um, recruiter and it was in Leeds. Stupidly, I thought the role was in Leeds. It wasn't. It was in Nelson in Lancashire. But there was just something about this advert and how Jack described it to me that I thought, I want to meet these people. So bearing in mind what I said about being late, I uh, arranged for a dear friend to look after the children, got in my car in Selby, set off on the M62 before sat-nav and got caught in the most enormous traffic jam. And I was late. Oh, no. And not only was I late, which I thought, 
they probably won't see me. How that left me was completely stewed up before I even walked in. And, um, you know, I I ended up working with Andrew for 11 years. Knowing him how I do now, I'm surprised he didn't tell me to get knotted and not see me because he was quite pedantic about these matters. But he did see me. Um, and I spent about three hours there and I walked out of that factory in Nelson in Lancashire and I thought, I want this job. I want this job because this is a really entrepreneurial company. Um, They're really ambitious for growth and I think I can go in here and make a difference. So I went home to my husband and said, uh, I want that job. So he said, but it's miles away. I said, I know, but I, Mm. I really want it. So we put our house on the market I nicked the nanny from nursery um, and we put a pin in the map which was halfway for us both, which was Huddersfield, <laughs> found a house and, and moved. Um, and then I started the job in, in November and I started as an account exec there. And that's when I really started to see things move. But at that, those 11 years were quite instrumental in terms of me growing up mm. and um, learning my trade, uh, gaining confidence and being given opportunities, really, that um, sort of put me in good stead uh, for the future. But there, there was one point, though. It, it wasn't all sweetness and light because... Um, they say I was a marketing director, probably about four, four and a half years in, decided he wanted to do something different. So Andrew set about recruiting a, a new sales and marketing director. And uh, the soft drinks market is very incestuous. So um, on a Saturday, uh, in order to maintain confidentiality, he'd see all these guys. And I'd go home to my husband and said, I'm not working for him and I'm not working for him. And then one Monday morning, I went into Andrew and sort of, I was getting a bit cheesed off by this point. I said, well, how was it with so-and-so? He said, oh, I don't think he's a good fit for us, Marnie. I said to him, Andrew, why won't you give me a crack at this job? And this is absolutely genuine. He looked at me and he said, well, I hadn't considered it because I thought with the children, you wouldn't want to do all that it entails. Well, I was doing it anyway. Um, And he said... I'm sorry, I'll I'll think about it. I said, well, you know, let me have six months. If in six months I I don't deliver uh, against your expectations and that of the board, then fine. Um, But I want a crack at it. Um, And anyway, they did give me a crack at it. I've read that story about you before and... And when I read it, you talked about being terrified. Yeah, I was. Actually being terrified of walking in and asking for that opportunity. I mean, the way you've just told it, it sounds obvious that you were the right person for the job. It sounds obvious that you had all the skills. What was it that that gripped you with fear so much and how did you overcome that? I I think it was actually the realisation that um, these guys who were coming for the role, I actually knew I was better than them. And I thought, I don't want to work for you. But you were still afraid to ask. I was still afraid to ask. And I, and I think that's, um, you know, as, as you become uh, older and more experienced, I just wouldn't stand for that now. But even though I was in my mid-30s, I was still quite inexperienced within my career. Um, and um, I guess what I thought, and, and this is a massive, massive learning, you think the person opposite you is thinking the same as you are. And actually, what came to pass was Andrew wasn't. Mm. It wasn't malicious. I suppose you could say it was because I was a female, but primarily because I was a mom, and not because he hadn't just sat down and thought about, uh, is Marnie capable of doing this? But I do think it it was my inexperience, um, feeling a bit scared that he'd say no, and doubting myself. Uh, as well as me thinking Andrew was thinking about me and then in his mind deciding no. So I guess what I went into is what the question I asked him is, why are you not considering me? So what I wanted from him then was the feedback, but I got a completely different answer. You talked about confidence during yeah. that answer and so many women get in touch with us here on the Northern Power Women podcast and talk about confidence yeah. or the lack of it, you know, imposter yeah. syndrome and the yeah. like. Where do you draw your confidence from? Yeah, I mean, I, I think confidence um, in terms of um, where it all started. My mum my uh, had a hair salon uh, and I was her Saturday girl. 
Um, and, you know, I did that until I went to college and even while I was at college. And I think, you know, the ability to be in a salon with all sorts of different people and having to talk to them while you're washing their hair. And in those days, it was a perm and, you know, answering the phone, um, more communication probably on the phone and booking appointments than there is today, you know, via um, technology. Sometimes you don't realise how these things sort of Mm. build up in terms of of, of confidence. And your confidence does grow the more situations you put yourself in that probably do deep down make you uncomfortable. And and I think most recently um, I was asked to be chair for the CBI of the North West And that was a really big decision in terms of that's a big role because it's about business um, in the region and it's a big responsibility. But also you've got to feed back from the region uh, to CBI Central in London. Um, And it's really an interesting space because it's an apolitical organisation, but in a very political space. Mm -hmm. And of course, when I agreed to do this, there wasn't Brexit. There was the national... Uh, minimum living wage on the horizon and uh, the apprenticeship levy um, and the industrial strategy and, and how that's going to affect the Northern Powerhouse. And uh, I thought, I, I'm not sure I'm qualified to do this, but I thought, well, I'll do it. Um, the, the guy who'd done it before, he was saying, you know, I think your perspective on business would be really good on this. But the first few meetings I had in London, I went home to my husband, Dan. I said, I'm not even sure I know what they were talking about. <laughs> Honestly, because there was lots of acronyms. There was lots of jargon. And I felt really not very confident to speak out. And um, I went to a couple and sort of finding my feet. And Vivian Hunt, Dame Vivian Hunt, that she is, uh, is, is uh, on the, um, the council, uh, who heads McKinsey in the UK. She's one superwoman. And I guess she could probably tell some of the things I was struggling a little bit with. So she became sort of a, a little bit of an ally and a mentor. So very often in a break, you know, I'd say to her, Vivian, explain to me a little bit more how this works. Because, it, you know, when you're talking about funding LEPs and all these different quangos, you know, very different from my day job. So she was really, really helpful. But I started to distill it into actually there's a lot of talking going on here what's important to my members in the northwest and really distilling into key areas and then actually centering and focusing on those so that when i you know when i am in a meeting mm. now i can be very clear about the position of the northwest uh, but it's only confident and i'm 3 years in now and i feel much more comfortable in my skin and confident but you're almost learning a new industry a new way of speaking and that's why i'd always encourage encourage anybody to always have on their radar the fact that, that there's always something to learn and sometimes by putting yourself in those very different environments you, you're amazed then at, at, at sort of how better informed mm. you become and then how you can make a contribution uh, to those situations. Talking about putting yourself in a situation where you haven't been in before I mean this role that you started at Nichols in, in, in 2012 and then 2013 yeah. You mentioned about how big a market the Middle East is for you yeah. and you mentioned Saudi Arabia and the Emirates, of course. And and quite often those places are perceived as regions where women perhaps aren't valued as much in business as men are. Business yeah. is very male dominated. Um, is that fair to say? And if so, the first time you walked in as a woman, as the boss... Was that a new, was that challenging as well? Yeah, and I think it was doubly challenging because the fundamentals of our international trade is all based on long-term partnerships mm. and relationships. Um, and the relationship in the Middle East specifically goes back to the Nichols family and the Aljan family. 
So not only is there the element of being a female CEO in a professional capacity, there's also this element in the background of the family connection Mm. as well. So this is a really funny little story. So every year in Dubai, there's this massive, massive um, uh, event called Gulf Food. Um, And and Aljan always have a massive stand there with Vimto. Um, And because it's Dubai, we get a lot of our African partners coming in. So it is the place to be from a food and beverage perspective globally in in the annual calendar. So um, Sheikh Adalaujan, he uh, always has a dinner and anybody who's anybody, if you have an invite, um, you know, it's the place to be. So my invitation came through uh, and this was the first year I was CEO and I said to Dan, my husband, what do I wear? And I, I just got into a silly panic about being appropriate. We'd been to Dubai on holiday. You know, you see ladies in the skimpiest of outfits, which I wouldn't even wear in Manchester, or never would have worn in Manchester. So anyway, I I choose this really nice dress, uh, uh, long sleeves and and up to the neck, black lace. It was very nice. Um, And um, that's what I wore. So it it, it all went really well. I was sat uh, um, with like the chief operating officer of the group, had a nice evening. And then at the end of it, you go out to have your photograph taken with Shea Cattle. So we all trot out and I'm standing there having my uh, photograph with him. And he grabbed hold of my hand and he said to me, he said, uh, you didn't really need to worry so much about what you wore and everything coming tonight. He said, because we want you here because you're good at what you do and you're really important part of our business Um, and then the next year uh, I sat on Shea Carroll's table uh, opposite him and you can see all these very eminent uh, uh, Saudi businessmen Mm. thinking why is she sat there and then the next year uh, Shea Carroll I sat next to him and I suppose what Shea Carroll was doing to his team and the population was saying this person is really good at what she does and we're really pleased to have Mm. her in our business. And I think that's what I found because my experience in soft drinks is so long and and so varied. Um, You know, I know the supplier base, the global, I know how to build a factory, I know how to blow bottles. And actually, once you stop becoming a woman and you just become an expert in your field, I've just found all the issues just go away and you're there no matter what culture you're in no matter what culture mm. I mean when I go to Africa you know they'll call me Madame Vimto in Africa and I love that I mean I couldn't <laughs> believe it the first time I, I heard it and uh, you know again I felt very touched because that's really endearing and again I, you know I think it's like anybody in their field um, if you're really good at what you do and, and what you uh, you know and, and you know your, your stuff then particularly in that situation, all of that just uh, uh, sort of fizzled away. You talked about success right at the beginning of this interview, Marnie, about how success used to be measured, um, I suppose, as you you were starting out by having the mortgage and the nice house and the nice car. You're obviously a very, very successful woman in business. I mean, you're a female leader. How do you measure success now? I guess receiving my OBE, I have had hundreds and hundreds of messages and from people I work with now, uh, girls that I've mentored ages ago, suppliers, and they're all congratulations, but everybody's added information on it and I've kept them all. They're just so heartfelt and I feel really humbled. There's no doubt the material benefit of being successful is is helpful, you know, that, that goes without saying. But for me, in terms of actually having had an impact on somebody and then when they've read the news that they feel they want to write and a bit more, um, I, I think that's just been really, really, really touching, really touching. The wonderful Marnie Millard OBE. Thank you so much for taking time. Busiest woman I know, pretty much, and yet took time to talk to us this month. So thank you. If you'd love to hear someone on this podcast, just do get in touch. You can email podcast at northernpowerwomen.com. Now it's time for Ask the Hive, the place where you ask for some career or life advice and the Northern Power Women Network responds. This month, it's one we can all relate to pretty much. The dreaded imposter syndrome.
So I started in the tech industry at 17 and I really struggled um, on like feeling like I fit in there even after all the aptitude tests and actually getting the job, seeing everyone's skill around me, I didn't feel like I was worthy. Like, how do I go over this? Right, well, absolutely you are worthy to be there, without a doubt. Um, I had that a little bit. I was a young lawyer, um, but from a very ordinary background, went to a comprehensive um, and photocopied my way into the firm. And then when all my um, fellow lawyers, uh, trainees turned up, they were all from publicly, privately educated schools, um, spoke a couple of languages, played a few musical instruments, and I felt not worthy to be there. Um, and then somebody said to me, you need to stop feeling ever so grateful to be here and um, get over it, get the chip off your shoulder and um, crack on, you are absolutely worthy and you need to believe in yourself so you've earned your place um, enjoy it Stop right now you've been offered that job because you have been amazing at some point during this recruitment process, you've been offered this job over other people so you've already shown them that you've got something amazing to offer the organisation in terms of something practical that you might want to consider, how about looking at some of these people that are showing those skills that are really standing out to you and identifying someone that could perhaps act as a mentor to you in the short or um, even in, into the long term, someone that is displaying those skills that you think are fantastic, someone that can um, be a real sort of confidant, someone that's a sounding board that you can be really honest about how you're feeling right now. Hopefully that relationship would then grow and and they will be able to support you and help you develop the confidence to really show everyone exactly why they recruited you. Good luck. Okay, so one thing I think I've found to help with imposter syndrome is to actually branch out and join other groups to develop my other soft skills. So meeting other people. I work in the diversity and inclusion space. So I do Frazzle Cafe, which is a cafe where people come when they're stressed out and just talk to each other. I network an awful lot within my company, which means I meet different people and learn from them um, the soft skills I need to develop, which has helped me be calmer in the world when I think I'm not doing a very good job in my technical uh, industry. I think that even if you haven't got that university experience and that technical academic experience and you definitely have workplace experience and that is, should not be understated um, and I also think that having experience in a workplace gives you an extra emotional intelligence um, and sensitivity to what's going on than a grad who may not necessarily understand sort of the politics of, of an office and how it plays um, so you're definitely an advantage in that regard. This is, a, this is an issue I think that many female executives and professionals face and it's not just you. Uh, there are two recommendations that I have based on my experience. The first one is taking stock of uh, your experience and your professional background and maybe just take a few minutes to sit down with your CV or your bio and really take stock of what you have achieved in your life and really kind of think back to what your successes and your achievements have been so far and keep them at the front of your mind before any meeting before any networking event or before any specific event that you're worrying about. Secondly, remember that everybody's only human. And if we just think of each other as equals, then go in, be bright, be confident, and just face people as if they're human first. And always try and find the human personal connection rather than always worrying about position and place in the market. Okay, so I'm 49 and I've had, I am a graduate a long time ago with a lot of a, a work experience, but there are times in my working week that sometimes I'd, I go in a meeting or an appointment and think I feel out of my depth. But you just look around, listen to people and you can overcome it because each time's different. Sometimes you do in a meeting feel um, overpowered or in awe of people because of their title or what they do or where they work when actually in reality you've got to believe in yourself because you have got as much experience in what you're doing they don't know everything you know and might be in awe of you my my main advice would be to uh, find other people that you feel you can talk to about that so uh, whether it's friends or a mentor from a different company um, uh, even just for uh, you know in answering this question I sent a quick whatsapp to a few of my friends to see what 
their thoughts on you know imposter syndrome some of them even said oh I've never heard of that before but once I explained what it was it's amazing how everyone feels the same so I think just breaking down that feeling of you know isolation over those feelings um, is a really good good start and and finding out that everyone else is probably the same and um, and also focusing on evidence so making a list of all the things that you know that you can do challenges that you've taken at, you know and, and that succeeded at uh, things you've tried and that haven't worked out but the, uh, you know at least you've had a go and then looking at evidence every time you feel a little bit sort of like oh everyone's looking at me and thinking that I can't do my job you know that I, hopefully that will help um, and with time hopefully you know that will improve as well but it, it sounds like even I was listening to uh, another podcast and even people like Dustin Hoffman you know every time he finishes a film apparently he thinks oh gosh that's my last film they'll realize that I'm actually a terrible actor so if even people like him you know feel that way then um, I think you know that it's just going to be one of those things that you're always going to have that you can that you can cope with so so yeah hopefully good luck uh, well, my personal experience is I went back to uni at 26 and started a graduate position at 27. So while that's not that old, that's considered mature for a grad. Um, so I definitely had that imposter syndrome, feeling like I didn't know what I was doing, although I should know what I'm doing. Um, I think the most important thing is just to ask lots of questions and remember that everyone's got a different skill set. Everyone's bringing different things to the table. So if you've got that experience, but another person might have you know more degrees than you, like th- that's irrelevant as long as everyone is contributing. They're strengths and asking questions continuing to learn throughout your career some really good practical advice there thank you so much for every single person who got in touch this month and next month i want to hear from you yes you if you can help out this woman how do senior leaders feel about recruiting people into their sector when they don't necessarily have the experience in that industry So would you ever hire anyone who didn't have practical experience in your specific field? Perhaps you got a job when you were in this position. Any advice you can offer, any way you can help, just please do get in touch. You can record a voice memo on your smartphone and then just email it to us, podcast at northernpowerwomen.com or open up WhatsApp on your phone, add us. The Northern Power Women podcast number is 07928. 387712. That's 079 28 387 712. And then when you go to send a message, you'll see a little microphone icon. Just hold your finger down on that, say what you'd like to say, and when you release your finger, your message will be sent. It's as simple as that. All the details you need, if you want to hear them again, are online at northernpowerwomen.com. Thank you. So there we go for another month of great stories, great advice and great ideas as well. A full 13 episodes now of the Northern Power Women podcast. Huge thank you for listening. Please do tell anyone you know who doesn't already listen. And of course, get voting in the Northern Blog Awards. And I don't know, we'll buy you an Eccles cake next time we see you. I promise. Uh, The next episode arrives for you on Friday, the 3rd of August. And until then, this is the Northern Power Women podcast. I'm Sam Walker, and this has been a What Goes On Media production for Northern Power Women. Northern Power Women.